The following message is a presentation from Grace Baptist Church in Kettering, Ohio. Let's stand, find our Bibles, Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. Said, Pastor, I'm coming today. I'm expecting a Valentine's Day message. All right, here's the thing. I love, I love, I, I, I love preaching the word. I love preaching through the word. But you know what? I love how the Lord also uh, can blend some themes. And I believe today you're going you're gonna to walk away with something that will help you uh, love God and love others as well. And I believe it will be an encouragement to you. So Acts chapter number 14 and verse number 8 is where we're going to begin reading. Acts chapter 14 verse number 8. And if you are excited to open up the word of God this morning, would you say amen? amen. You sound like you're on it. All right, let's go. Acts chapter 14 verse number 8. The Bible says, And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being crippled from his mother's womb, who never walked. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him and perceived that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand up, right on thy feet. And he leaped and walked. What an amazing thing right there in this pagan city. Verse 11, And when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying with the speech of, the Lyconia, of Lyconia, the gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. And they called Barnabas, uh, Jupiter, and Paul, uh, Maracrina. Uh, there we go. Yeah, you just get it tongue-tied right there. Because he was a chief uh, speaker. Now, verse number 13. And the priest of Jupiter, which was before their city, brought oxen and garlands under the gate and uh, would have done sacrifice with the people, which when the apostle Barnabas and Paul heard of, they rent their clothes, this was a custom, and ran in among the people crying out. So when uh, Jewish people especially were very distraught, they would, uh, they would rend their clothes. They kept the, uh, the seamstresses in, uh, in, in business uh, in, there in Jerusalem and other places, all right? And so verse number 15, and saying, sirs, why do ye these things? We, uh, we hear... We also are men of like passions with you and preach that ye should turn from these vanities unto the living God. Now think about that. That wasn't a very popular message. From these vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the, the sea and all the things that are therein, who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness, in that he did good and gave us rain from, uh, from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with uh, food and gladness. And with these things scarce restrained they the people that they had not done sacrifice unto them. And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium, who persuaded the people, and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. Howbeit, as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up and came into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to, unto that city, they and taught many, they returned again to Lystra and, and to Iconium and to Antioch. And what an amazing uh, rock, uh, rocket ride and very 
rocky road through uh, the city of Lystra. Let's ask the Lord to bless our time in his word. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to open up your word. Thank you for each person that's gathered today. We pray your protection on us and our families. We pray your protection on, uh, on our lives, our health. Lord, we ask that you would also protect us spiritually. Uh, there is a, a great spiritual battle that wages in each one of our lives. And I pray the Lord that you'd help us to be walking with the spiritual armor on and ready to face that uh, with the shield of faith up, with the sword of the spirit in our hands. And Lord, I pray that you prepare us from this, from this passage of scripture to, to, uh, to live out our Christianity this week in a way that would honor you and would show and reflect your love to all those around us. And most of all, Lord, that it would honor you and show our love um, back to you for all the love that you've shown to us. So help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. So Valentine's Day, people often give chocolates, uh, lots and lots and lots of chocolate. It'd be interesting to find out how many, um, how many pounds of chocolate America consumes on a day like this, and, uh, and maybe how many uh, pounds the Grace Baptist Church consumes on a, on a day like this, right? Um, but uh, husbands oftentimes go looking for, uh, for gifts, and uh, so don't wives, but uh, a lot of times husbands turn to jewelry. Imagine with me a scenario, Valentine's Day, and a husband has um, purchased a piece of jewelry from a local jeweler for his wife. And uh, he presents this, this um, piece of jewelry uh, to his wife. A happy Valentine's Day, honey. I am so, uh, so glad I, I married you. Here's a piece of jewelry I bought for you. I hope, I hope you like it. She, she receives it. She thanks him for it before she even opens up the package and, uh, and, and opens it up and, and looks inside and says, oh, this is, this is just perfect. Thank you so, so much. And the husband at that moment should say something like, you know, I, I love you more than anything in the world, and I am thankful for you, and I just want you to know that. But rather than saying that, he says something more along the lines of, you know what, this is really amazing. This was, this was amazing. This was a perfect opportunity. The jeweler was running a special deal. You get intense. Uh, and, and if I bought this piece of jewelry, he would also give me a 25% coupon to Lowe's. And you know what? I was able to go over to Lowe's and get that power tool set that I've been wanting for a while. <laughs> what motivates you matters, doesn't it, wives? What motivates your husband matters. Oh, thanks. Yeah, thanks. What motivates you matters. In fact, what motivates you and I, it will be the determining factor of whether we continue to do what we do. What motivates you and I in what we do is going to be the determining factor in whether we continue to do what we do. There's a lot of people that you and I in our Christian living, sometimes we, we live out our Christian life for the wrong motivation because of the benefits it gets us. And the moment the benefits aren't there, the conveniences aren't there, the perks aren't there, well, it suddenly doesn't seem as enticing anymore. Uh, as Americans, we want it to be convenient. We want it to be comfortable. But what happens when Christianity isn't comfortable anymore? What happens when sharing your faith or living out your Christianity in the workplace isn't comfortable anymore? Will you still do it? Motivation matters. And listen, what motivates you today may work in the sunshine. 
but it might not work when the storm cloud comes or when the snowstorm comes or when, when problems come into your life. It might not work then. What motivates you to do what you do will be the determining factor of whether you're able to continue to do what you do. And it's very important to keep and understand a right motivation. I believe as we open up into the Apostle Paul's life and Barnabas's life right now, we're seeing them go from city to city to city and get, the, get knocked out in each city. It's just like, what in the world? It's just the same thing. They come in, they preach the gospel, and everyone gets mad at them. And they run. Sometimes running before the persecution, sometimes running after the persecution, but they're constantly on the run, and there's all sorts of turmoil because they're simply serving the Lord Jesus Christ. What, uh, what motivates you to do what you do will be the determining factor of whether you can continue to do what you do. Listen, in a year from now, if, as, as life continues to change and evolve and so forth, will you continue to do what you do because you are motivated with a right motivation, or will you find out you know what, I was motivated by the convenience or by the, 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 the social element of my Christianity. As long as everyone else is in it, as long as everyone else is doing what I do, I feel pretty safe. I can continue with the crowd. No, what is motivating you today to continue to live out your Christian life in every way? In your home? Husbands, what is motivating you today to obey Jesus Christ, to love your wife as Christ loved the church? Uh, fathers, what is motivating you today to raise up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? Uh, guys and, and gals, what is motivating you today to love that person, love your enemy at work who is annoying? Did I tell you this story? I, I set my kids up on email. It, it's, it, we have it kind of res restricted down, but I set it up because we were getting them involved in uh, the scripture typer and memorization on there, and so it was easier rather than all being on one account, so on. So my son knows how to email me now. And he's in here somewhere. I'm sorry, bud. Forgive me now. I get, I get, a, I get an email the other day, and all it says is in the subject line, Sabrina is being annoying. Exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. What motivates you to love that person that's being annoying to you at, at, at work? Seriously now. People annoy. Because we're all different. We come from back, on different backgrounds. What is motivating you to allow a love to cover the multitude of, of sins and so on? So the fact of the matter is, what, what is motivating us is absolutely crucial. And so could I call you to, to examine your motivation as we unfold the, the, this, this narrative in the, in the life of the Apostle Paul, as he's in a city that is absolutely pagan. There's no church. There's not even a synagogue, which there not being a synagogue means that there was not enough men in that city Jewish men in that city to be able to support at least 10 uh, synagogue officials who would be able to communicate the, the Old Testament to them. So we're talking about a very small population, if any, of, uh, of Jews, not even enough to, uh, to substantiate having a synagogue built in that city. This is a city that is wholly given over to idolatry, that is wholly given over to 
the, the, the Roman culture and, uh, and, uh, and many mythologies. And we'll even see they've, they've adopted a lot of Greek mythology and so on. And so it was a, a difficult place to be in, but Paul continued on. In fact, his motivation was stronger than the opposition he faced. And it had been even in Iconium and also in Antioch of Pisidia. It had been stronger than the opposition he faced. He just continued on. And so let's, let's discover that, that motivation that really, and I use this word carefully, that impelled him. That impelled him. That it was something internal that just drove him to continue on for the Lord and drove him to continue on to the next place and drove him to open up the word of God and preach Christ again. That drove him that way. Let's notice first of all in verses 8, and ten, uh, eight through 10, the divine preparation that God gave to them as they came into the city. Now, I understand that they came in preaching the gospel. That's very important. That was how they came into the city. I don't know where they did that, whether they did that in front of Kroger's or whether they did that at the fish, uh, the fish market. I don't know where they did that, but they preached the gospel because that's what it says in verse number 7. They went into Lystra preaching the gospel. They might have sat down and had tea and uh, talked with uh, a, a few people and found out where, where the best place to, uh, to get to the crowd was, but they, they preached the gospel. And notice what happens. The Bible opens up this narrative in the city, says they're preaching the gospel, but notice what immediately begins to be told to us, that they find a hurting man. In the middle of his preaching the gospel, they find a hurting man there in verse number 8. There sat a certain man at Lystra, a certain man. I love how the Bible notes that. This is a man who had a name. God didn't give us his name, but he was a certain man. This is a particular man. This is a man that God wants us to at least know that he was there in time and space and had an issue. He was a hurting man. Uh, this man um, was a, in the midst of this pagan city that, that could offer him no help, no real substantial help to his spiritual well-being nor to his physical well-being he was impotent in his feet he was disabled and he had been that way since he was born he literally was born without the ability to walk uh, he was not able to uh, he was not able to grow into walking there was, there was he was crippled he was disabled and i want us to think about this we we oftentimes filter it through our western thinking um, we have handicap uh, accessibility everywhere we go. Uh, it's a part of the coding system. And we, we just think, well, you know, it should be pretty easy for, uh, for a person who does not have sight to get around town or a person that can't walk to get around town. Uh, they, they didn't have that. I don't know that they had handicap accessible chariots in those days <laughs> with wheelchair lifts and so, and so on. I'm sure they had things, but the idea of, of that accessibility that we enjoy in our culture and praise God for in our culture, just understand, it's not likely that they had that much of it then. One of the indicators of that is many times the, those that were disabled uh, had to beg. That's how they lived. And so here's a man who was, who was not able to walk, not able to get around on his own, was fully dependent on others, and he was beyond human help. He had been this way for years upon years upon years. No doctor could come into a situation and, and fix his situation. He's beyond human help. So here's a hurting man. Can you place yourself in that situation? He's hurting. Uh, this is an ongoing issue. And the fact is, 
if we just pause for a moment, we realize that there are hurting people all around us in the midst of this lost world in which we live. There's hurting people all around us, and it's not always physical. Sometimes it's spiritual. Many times, just mark it down, it's spiritual. People are suffering under the ruins of sin, right? But also, you think about mental Oh, there's so much of that right now in our society. Uh, it's skyrocketed. The, the mental challenges that people are facing right now and that, that are causing many to say, you know what, life is not worth anything. I'll just end my life. There's many that are hurting. Just remember, as you walk through the store and someone might be annoying or whatever, they might be on the edge of, of, of ending their life. They might just be on the, the, the threshold saying, you know what, if, if I could just get through today, but if I have a bad day, I'm done with this. There's hurting people all around us, and that is what Satan and this world do to people. And here's a man who physically illustrates what, uh, what goes on in Lystra spiritually, emotionally, and, and, and mentally, and same in our day. So just remember, I think we need to, we need to pause and, and, and realize that how important it is for us to be loving to the world around us. We need to be loving to everyone, as one person said, because everyone's having a hard time. And uh, you know how that, that ministers to your heart when someone is loving to you when you're having a hard time. Just think about this man who is there beyond human help. Uh, there are many who think, I, no one can help me with this. No one's going to understand my problem. It's too private. It's too, it's too uh, embarrassing to say. No one can help me with this. By the way, if you, if you feel that way, listen, there is, there, I know it may not feel like it, but there are people who would love love you just to open up and with even within this body love you to open up and say you know i'm i'm struggling with this and allow us to pray with you you realize you don't have to hurt alone you don't have to hurt alone but here's a man that was hurting and who's beyond human help and uh we need to we need to be aware of that but how did paul respond and again as the apostle paul uh, uh directed by the holy spirit of god he responded with a healing word the same heard Paul speak. Now notice that he heard Paul speak. What was Paul speaking? Paul was speaking, verse number seven, he was preaching the gospel. So he's hearing this go on. Now, I want to I ask you, what do you think Paul is going to, to uh, preach? He's going to preach Jesus Christ. He's going to preach how he heals uh, people of their, of their sin issue. He's going to show how there's forgiveness of sin in Jesus Christ, but I have no doubt that he's illustrating with some of the things that Jesus did when he walked on earth, perhaps like healing, uh, the healing of people and the, the making of um, people whole and forgiving of sins and so on. And I can only imagine, the Bible doesn't say exactly what he heard, but he heard Paul speak. And whatever Paul spoke caused this man to say, you know what? I think that could be true of my situation. By the way, when you share your testimony and when you lift up the Lord Jesus Christ, it allows another person who doesn't know Jesus Christ to say, you know what, I think that could be true of me. I'm a sinner. I recognize that. I, I realize that I can't get out of this on my own. I've tried over and over. I've tried to reform my life. I am powerless against my own sinfulness. And I think this could be true of me. And so here's a man, notice what it says there, Paul steadfastly beholding him, perceiving or knowing, understanding that, that he had faith to be healed. So at some point along the way, this man had allowed Paul to know, to understand, not just by sight, but to understand Paul had an understanding from this man that he felt that what Paul was saying could be true for him. That's pretty amazing. 
Here's a pagan man growing up in a pagan city who heard, heard the gospel being preached, but probably uh, and likely heard stories of what God was doing even over in Iconium and other places where miracles had been done, signs and wonders had been done. And he says, yes, I believe this can happen for me. And Paul noticed that and that faith was known to Paul. And the Bible says that Paul, that this man had faith to be healed. Um, that word healed is the idea to deliver, to save, to make whole, to make whole completely. So this is what this man had faith for. And so what does Paul do? Uh, Paul says with a, a loud voice. He didn't, he, he didn't whisper this. He said it with a loud voice, very bold, everyone listening in on it. Uh, he says with a loud voice, hey, uh, uh, stand right up on your feet and, and walk. Now, can you imagine what was going on in the minds of those that were uh, looking at this situation and watching on? Uh, what in the world is going on? Oh, yeah, right. I mean, the doctors can't help him. And this man that just waltzes into town, and he's a preacher, and he's, he's kind of a loud mouth, and, and, and so on. And he, and he says, to stand up and walk. And the man stands up and walks, and the Bible says, and he leaps. And the idea is that he did this continually. He didn't stop. And by the way, if you'd just gotten your, uh, the ability to walk, you probably wouldn't stop either. You'd be ready to run a marathon, right? And, and so this guy is walking and walking and leaping and leaping, similar to the guy that uh, the Lord allowed Peter to heal in, uh, in Acts chapter number 3. And so it's really an amazing thing. He was healed completely. And what a picture. What a vivid spiritual picture that Jesus is giving to the town there. Now think about that. Here's a town that does not know the word of God, has not had the word of God directly revealed to them. Paul walks in, he's preaching Christ, he's preaching the gospel. And God gives a, a picture, a vivid illustration. This is what I can do for you spiritually. He didn't just say, in, in, in 10 months, after some therapy, you'll, you'll be able to walk. No, he says, walk right now. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ does to us. He doesn't say, you're going to be saved in 10 months. After you ask me, you'll be saved and you'll be made whole. No, he says, I save you right now. I change your destiny. I change your, your position before me right now. I give you righteousness right now when you believe on me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue to change your life as we go on, but you're saved right now. He completely heals. What a beautiful, vivid physical illustration of what Jesus wanted to do in every one of those lives in that city spiritually. And what a picture of what Jesus wants to do in our lives, how he wants to make us whole before him. And uh, what, a, what a picture that the Holy Ghost is giving. Hebrews 2 and verse 4, we mentioned this last week, God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders and diverse miracles and the gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. According to his own will. And let's just remember that this was God motivating this, not Paul. Otherwise... Otherwise, uh, he, he could have been thronged in this way. But God was the one that opened this up for a way of verifying the gospel message. And he did that. There was a divine preparation that was going on in this city through the healing of this man. Now, it created quite a stir, didn't it? Uh, you read about this. And, and, and so I want you to notice, and I, I again use these words very carefully, it, it created a delusional popularity for them. Um, instantly... Paul and Barnabas were the most popular men in town. I mean, if the newspapers could print, if social media could have uh, um, been tweeting and, and posting at that point, uh, it would have been all over. It would have been trending, hashtag uh, healed man. Uh, you know, whatever, whatever the case uh, may be, it, it would have been 
everywhere, and it was everywhere. The whole city was on, on, on getting onto this. Verse number 11, notice immediately they began to idolize the preachers. These preachers that were preaching the gospel, and God used in a very specific way in this man's life physically and no doubt spiritually, began to be idolized. And when the people saw what they had done, they lifted up their voices um, in the, uh, speak, uh, saying in the speech of uh, Lyconia, the gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. That's a pretty amazing thing. These are gods. Literally, they began to view them as idols. Now, the people of Lystra interpreted this event through their own religious structure. All they had perspective on this event was their own religious structure, their own paganism and religious structure. By the way, that is exactly how our world views events of God. They view it through their own religious structure. They, they are blinded, as these people were. The God of the, on this world has blinded their eyes lest they should receive the glorious light of the gospel. And so they're seeing this, and all they're understanding it is from our own religious structure. Well, well, these guys, if they have this type of power, they must be gods coming down. And, and I want us to notice for a moment, uh, and I've used a little bit different words in, in, in your notes and, in, and, uh, and on the screen, because what they were going after, very interesting, they, they, they titled them according to their gods. And notice what they, they title um, Barnabas, first of all, they, they title him and, and they say Jupiter, but it, this, was, this was the god Zeus, referring to the god Zeus who they worshipped in that city. Now, they, they titled Barnabas uh, Zeus, which is interesting. They gave him the title of chief god. Right? Uh, Barnabas was perhaps the older, um, but the one who wasn't speaking, but they titled Paul uh, the messenger, the messenger of Zeus. Very interesting because, and notice there in the scriptures, it says that, that because he was, he was the speaker, so here we have it. They are, they're saying, hey, the, uh, here, here, are the, here are the gods that are come down. They're, they're dwelling among us. This is a great day. It's happened here in Lystra, and they have completely captured the attention of the whole town. The whole town is gathering together, and what does the priest of Jupiter do? He gets right on board, and he says, let's have a sacrifice. Now, uh, this is going on across the city, and evidently, uh, Paul and Barnabas did not notice this going on. They heard of it from a, from a distance that the priest was going to have this sacrifice, this worship uh, time for them. And so this is, this, this is all kind of just, I mean, it's bubbling up in the city. It's very delusional. It is, it is from their own perspective, their own religious structure. It's very delusional. They are they're after this. These are our idols. We're going to worship them. And, uh, you know, from a, the standpoint of Christianity, what... What an undercut to the message of the gospel. Uh, in other cities, we've seen the persecution come right on, but this is as dangerous as the persecution. I want you to listen to a, a quote from one author who said it this way, this entire movement was a more subtle form of danger to the Christian faith than all other forms of opposition recorded. You say, why so? Because it seemed good. There's popularity. Even in our day, friends, let's remember something. One of the ways that our culture tells if something is successful or the right thing is if the majority is following it. Do you realize that much of the world scoffs at gatherings like us because it's not a large gathering in, in their opinion? So just write it off. 
popularity is a big deal. Popularity is an American idol. Popularity in, in churches is an American idol. And so you have here, everyone is getting onto this and they're uh, claiming it. Well, it must be, it must be true. And, and what a danger to the, um, the, the success of the gospel in that town. Uh, for a successful Christian worker, a greater peril than persecution is the tendency for people to center their spiritual attention not on Christ, but on his servant. Not on Christ, but his servant. The tendency of American Christianity to prop up, to prop up and put on a pedestal those that lead in any, any way, but those that lead as pastors and evangelists and so forth, listen, we're the same flesh. Are you with me this morning? The struggles that you face in your family and your marriage and in your, in your life and your walk with the Lord, we have the same flesh. And here immediately, they're, they're, they are thrust into godhood status. Can you think of some areas around our country where some, some preachers have been thrust into godhood status? Can you think of that? And what a peril for Christianity. Now, there's some that, that will preach a, a, correct go, a correct gospel and are put in that, that status and don't realize that it's the undermining of their gospel message because he is to have what in the church? Preeminence. He's to be preeminent, and how important that is. Um, there's a lot that happens around celebrity preachers in our day. I mean, you can Google celebrity preachers and come up with the top 25 celebrity preachers in our day and what they make and the houses that they live in and, and the lifestyle that they, they uh, present and how many times so many people are dashed as they see celebrity preachers taking moral falls, as we've seen even in the last, in the last uh, several months, some key, key celebrity worship leaders and pastors and, and so forth taking, uh, taking some falls and, and even coming out and saying, hey, I'm not, I'm not even for Christianity anymore. And you see how much Satan loves to get the attention from Christ onto the preacher or the messenger and how much problems that causes. Oh, that you and I would not, not for a moment, grab any of the, the limelight from the Lord Jesus Christ. We can't. We, 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 do, we, we, we are dishonest to our purpose for existing here when we do that. And that's what was going on here is there immediately, and we understand they're a worldly, it's a worldly city. They're idolizing. They're only doing what they know to do. They're only doing what they understand to do. And I just encourage us, let's not get into this celebrity mode. And I, and I, I understand that that's the heart of most of you that have gathered here, but let's be aware of that that's going on in our culture and people are constantly looking for who's the celebrity that we can follow. No, 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 no. He is the only celebrity that we should be following. He is it. He is to be preeminent. He is to be exalted. And the Bible says when we lift up him, what happens? Draw all men to him. If I be lifted up. That happened at the cross, but friends, that happens every day in our daily life. And do we not understand that part of the reason that America is in the position that it's in, we've lifted up far too many people over the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And there's far too many ministries and churches that are so worried about, let's put ourselves forward and let's, let's advertise ourselves and we're better than this church and we're better than that person because of this. No, 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 no. We have, we've been scrambling with each other, trying to be better than one another. He's it. And he needs to be exalted in our church. Oh, that Grace Baptist Church, we would be exalting the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, you are the body of Christ. This week you're going to go out into all different places across this community. At least a hundred different ways. And he, if he will be exalted in each one of our lives in a hundred different places this week, he will draw people to himself. We are not the celebrities. He is the person that we need to be promoting. We need to be advertising for him. He is all that there is. There's so much going on, and I I don't want to digress too much, but I I do want to just make the point. Listen, you see it coming across the TV screens often uh, with the celebrity preachers. And just let me give you a comment, uh, and and you say, well, he's easy to to state. I, I, I know, but one of the top celebrity preachers in our country would be a man by the name of Osteen, right? But I want to I give you a perspective from one of his followers. And I, and I want you just to consider this. Joel has helped me tremendously in recapturing my personal power and in activating an even stronger power from God. That sounds good. And from the universe. We are blessed to have him in his message. Week after week, you can be a better person. Every day can be a Friday. God wants you to prosper. Another celebrity preacher uh, made this statement publicly. God is not in a hurry to fix us. Our behavior is not his first priority. Loving us, knowing us, and affirming us, and protecting us. This is his top goal and main concern. Everything's about you. God exists for your happiness. That is the message of today's celebrity preachers. And as they say this, oh, yes. And listen, it is is dead wrong. It's wrong. Don't, Don't be shameful about a gathering of people like us gathering together to worship God and make him preeminent in our lives. Don't be shameful about that. Don't be ashamed. Listen, we're gathering together. We're having a great time. We're singing together about his great love. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. This is a blessing, and we want more people to be a part of it, not because of us or not because something we, we can offer them uh, or not a message that we can offer them in the sense of God wants to make you happy. That's all he wants to do. His main goal is to affirm you. Wherever you are, he wants to affirm you. No, no, no. We want to say, no, Jesus Christ is everything, and he is Lord, and we want you to submit in your heart to him and accept him as your Lord and your Savior. And we want you to know a life of following him and making him preeminent in your life and lifting him up before a lost world. And so we have the idolization of these preachers that's going on. And what does Paul immediately do? Well, I think it would be a good idea for him to sign a new deal with a a faith healers network. And uh, begin holding services, right? Um, how about maybe trademark, this one caught me, uh, trademark um, his own ministry, the Apostle Paul's ministry trademark, you know, put the TM by it, right? Uh, there's, there's a lot of crazy things that happen in the name of Christianity. Um, what, about, what about signing a new book deal? Like, he can, he can make the profits off the book deal. 
I'm not saying anything against writing books, but listen, there's a lot of this. Immediately the fame comes, and this is what, what is the response. But what did Paul do? He immediately declares the gospel. And I'll tell you, in the midst of this, you can tell a man uh, and where he really stands with God when in the heat of the moment, on public TV, when he is given an opportunity to declare Christ and to lift up Christ and say, hell is hot and heaven is real and Jesus Christ is your Savior and this is what I want you to know when he, he punts and you go, well, I'll just leave that up to God. Is Jesus Christ the only way to heaven? Really, that's just, that's up to God. No, if you're a preacher of the gospel, you're going to say, yes, Jesus Christ is the the only way to heaven. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. But to, in order to protect the celebrity status, let's just punt. Let's just keep it about you, not God. This is right where American, American Christianity is, is living. Don't be sucked into that. Don't be sucked into that. This, this is a godless philosophy. This is something that comes out of, uh, naturally out of this pagan city. It's godless. You're gods. Oh, we should, we should worship and follow you. Everything you say is, is right. No, lift up the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what he did in verse number 14. And he says, when which the, uh, uh, the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they rent their clothes. They were distressed. What are you doing? I mean, this was, like, this was not the culture of Lystra, but it was a cult of their culture. They were rent, uh, uh, you know, tearing apart their clothes. And we're, we're sad about this. This is a problem. Stop doing what you're doing. And he says immediately, he says, guys, we're just like you. We're just like you. And, uh, you know, even with celebrities and those that are put on pedestals, regardless uh, inside of religion, outside of religion, oftentimes people think, oh, their life, I, I'm, I can't be anything like them. But immediately Paul and Barnabas say, no, we are just like you. We're no different. We have the same flesh, the same passions, the same, the same issues. We're just like you. And they call on them to stop doing this. Paul immediately gets to the gospel in a little bit different way. But I find here Paul is true to what he said in the Romans in verse 116 of Romans. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He lifted it right up. Sometimes in the face of popularity, you're like, do I say this? Because if I say this, I'm not going to be popular anymore. And he lifted it right up. He was not ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He lifted it right up right there in the city of Lystra. And he says, I want you to turn from your idolatry, turn to the living God. Well, that's not a popular message. Because notice, let's break that down for a second. He says, I, you, that, we preach unto you that ye should turn from these. Now, what's that word? vanities well that that's not that's not the kitchen or the bathroom sink okay turn from these vanities turn from this emptiness in reality what paul was saying is i we're calling on you we're declaring to you that you need to turn from this uselessness all that you're doing for us and all that you're you're following right here this idolization and this talk of zeus and and his messenger you need to turn from this uselessness you understand that is not a popular message this is their way of life and thinking and he says you need to turn from this to who to the living god 
And notice what immediately Paul begins his gospel message with. He does not begin the same way that he would with, the, uh, with an Israelite or with a Jewish population where you go back to the Old Testament and talk about on God being a God of law and helping them understand because they didn't have that foundation. Where does he go, on, go back? Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's where he goes. You realize more and more as people are further and further from the truth of this book, and there's less understanding in our nation, that is the first place that we have to go in teaching the gospel is helping them understand where in the world they came from. And so he goes back, notice there in verse number, um, verse number 15, he says, These vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein, who in times past suffered or allowed all nations to walk in their own way. And so he's saying, listen, there's a, there was a time that God was he was giving the revelation to Israel so that they could give it to all the, all the nations. Right now, God is now coming in. He sent me into your, into your city to declare unto you the truth of God's word right now. Uh, God is working in your life. You need to accept this, the creator God. Now, I want us to correlate this back with Psalm 19 and Romans 1. Because the Bible tells us exactly what Paul is doing here is, is the foundation of the gospel. Romans, uh, Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of what? God, right? And the firmament showeth his handiwork. So immediately Paul's saying, listen, do you see all this? God, a living God, not Zeus. God created all this. Everything you see in this around you, God created it. Verse number two of Psalm 19, day unto day uttereth speech. They're uttering something. The sun is uttering something. The, the moon is uttering something. The stars, the, the birds that fly about, the trees that, that, uh, that move in the wind. And night unto night showeth knowledge. They're, they're conveying something. What is it conveying? There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. It's lifting up the glory of God. There's a creator. Do you know why there are absolutely no atheists alive on earth today? You say, you're crazy. No, in their heart of heart, they know. They fight with every ounce of their being against a knowledge that is deep within the heart that they were created by someone greater than them. And though they, they will uh, um, propose that they, there is no God, the Bible says the fool has said in their heart there is no God. Why? Because they're going against every bit of logic within them. They know in their heart of heart, God has written in their heart, you were created by something. And so Paul immediately goes back to creation. And he, he announces that this was a living God that created uh, you and you're accountable to him. Romans chapter number 1 and verse number 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. Not just ungodliness in America, but ungodliness in the farthest reaching places of the globe. Against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness because... Wait a minute, how do they hold the truth? They hold it in unrighteousness because, verse 19... That which may be known, understood, perceived of God is manifest in them. It's made known in them. God has buried it in the heart of every human on earth, the knowledge of himself. By what they see in creation, what they know in their heart of hearts to be true in their conscience. For God has showed it unto them. All right, verse number 20. For the invisible things of him, God, from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Why does Satan put so much time and effort into the, the theory 
and the doctrine, the worldly doctrine of evolution. Why? Because by attacking that very doctrine, he attacks the existence of God. So you say, oh, it's, it's all right. It's not that big of an issue. It is a huge deal, and Satan knows it, and he has spent hoard millions of dollars, and he has placed it all across our museums. Our zoos are full of it. The movie industry is full of it. Well, you believe in creation? <laughs> oh, I feel sorry for you. No, Satan has put an, an, an excellent ad campaign out against the, this doctrine of creation, the fact of creation, and, and he has caused many people to step away, and no wonder people are wondering, are they accountable to God? And he goes on in verse number 20, he says, they're clearly seen from the creation of the world being understood by the things that are made. Notice, even his eternal power and Godhead. He says, you can understand by looking at creation and seeing how God created things, even his, his power and his Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, so that they are without excuse. God says, I can hold every person on earth accountable by simply my general revelation of myself through creation. And Paul's gospel message goes right back to creation and creator God. He starts there. And friends, we take a cue from Paul when we go into a, a place or to a person that has no Bible understanding, start there. Who created you? Let me tell you what this creator God says about you. And begin to show them from the earliest parts, helping them understand. My wife had an opportunity to, uh, to witness to a, a lady who came into our service who had not had any understanding of scripture. And from start to finish, she couldn't start in the gospels. She had to go all the way to the beginning and start at Genesis 1-1 and for three hours bring that, person, bring that person through. Why? Because that's where it all starts. Satan knows it. Satan is so clever. He's a confuser and he's confused our day. And we think all oh, these are just small issues. That's why, that's why people wonder, and I praise the Lord that we're close to it, answers in Genesis. What a wonderful resource. What a wonderful resource the Lord has given us in our day. Why, why do people not like the Creation Museum? Just leave them alone. Why? Because it stands as a, as a landmark to who God is and to the existence of God. Why do they not like the, the, the Ark encounter? Why? It stands as a beautiful and very well done landmark to the truth of Scripture. It's an amazing thing, and yet they, they fight, and they fight against these types of things because they lift up the Lord Jesus Christ. So here we have it. He goes back to creation, and then he notes. He doesn't stop there. He goes on and notes in verse 17 the goodness of God as a creator on all creation. He says, I give you seasons, and I give you fruit in your fields, and I, I bless you with rain, and I take care of you. And he says, listen, this creator God that you know nothing about, he's the one that's enabling you to have crops and have happiness and fullness in your bellies he's the one that has created all this for you he's a good god wow and he says there in verse number 17 he's not left himself without testimony he's not left himself without a witness and he points to all the goodness of god as a witness to who god is and his love toward them that's amazing uh what do they say it used to be over in the kitchen 
um, that, uh, that pe you, you show love, kitchen workers or uh, uh, moms and so on, show love by cooking food, right? Paul just goes back right to the basic. Listen, he loves you, and he's even provided your very basic needs for you. What an amazing God. What an amazing God he is portraying to them in a little bit different way, but we have to remember that, that that's why God tells us to always be ready to, uh, to have an answer a, a, um, for the, the reason of the hope that lies within us. And we can't just be, well, the Roman road solves it all. Right? We have to be a little bit more on our feet with the, the Word of God, have a full understanding of the Word of God, and that's even why we're going through biblically literate on Wednesday nights that I invite you to. And so, um, verse number 18 was scarce, uh, uh, they scarce restrained they, the people that, uh, that had not done sacrifice unto them. And so, Paul was motivated in his heart. I, 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 I don't want to take any of the glory, and so please, please don't do it, and he, he pushes them um, back with this. And so I want us to notice that their rejection of this worship uh, probably, probably made them very swayable in the next couple verses to turn against them. Notice a diabolic persecution. Uh, Satan was again working, and he used agitators to do this. Notice in verse 19, and there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium. This was 45 miles away, more than 45 miles away uh, for some of those cities, and, and they came all the way down to Lystra. When someone travels that far to be engaged in a cause, they're really engaged in that cause. I mean, they're, 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 they're 100 percenters, right? Do you see that? Does that not strike you as kind of, of, kind of like satanically energized? I mean, they hated him so much. He let, he's not even up in Antioch the city anymore. He's not over in Iconium. They come down to there. Perhaps they were businessmen on some on travel. The Bible doesn't tell that to us. But regardless, they came down and they stirred up that whole city, all those pagan people, the Jewish people, these religious individuals stirred up the pagan people against the preachers of the gospel. That's an amazing, amazing thing. And so this is the second of five times that, that Paul and Barnabas had, would bring together a crowd that was outraged against them. And in this situation, uh, this situation, they actually stoned them right within the city. That would not have happened in a Jewish city. They would have drug them outside of the city and then stoned them. But here they were in a pagan city, a Gentile city. They stoned them right in the streets, and then they dragged them out, supposing that he was dead. So... There's a debate, I'm really not going to uh, dip down into it here, whether Paul actually died or didn't die, uh, I guess we'll have to ask in, in heaven. Uh, the, the thing that I see here is it says they supposed him to be dead. He was about as close to death as, as he could be. Uh, at the very least, he was severely wounded. Uh, so much so that, that anyone looking on or trying to check a pulse or, or so, uh, of some way, uh, he, was, he, he did not seem alive. So he's, he's out on the side of the road somewhere, and he is bleeding, no doubt. Uh, you get hit with a stone head anywhere else, you're gonna, there's bleeding. He is, he is badly, badly injured. Notice the effect of the preaching that had gone on in the city, because Satan thinks he's won. We've gotten rid of Paul. They go back into the city. The agitators, the, the whole crowd goes back into the city. They, they're, they're, hey, we took care of this problem. He's done. We don't have to hear this preacher anymore. He's not going to stir us up anymore. 
But notice the effect of preaching, verse number 20, how be it as the disciples stood round about him. What word stands out to you there? Round about? What stands out to me is this word disciples. Where did those guys come from? Because there was a group of people in that city that believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and became followers. Remember what the disciple means, a committed follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. There were some people who got saved out of their paganism in that city. And they come out, people who, who were with Paul and, 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 and followed along and, and agreed with what he had said and had, had trusted him, perhaps this guy that had been healed. They're standing around him and they're looking on this situation and Paul rises up. Now, there's the miracle. Now, whether he, he died or not, we may not be able to actually be dogmatic on, but God gave him, as a man that was stoned, God gave him the health to rise up and to walk back into the city. That's amazing. And so these disciples that gathered, uh, gathered around him, they were there. And uh, I want us to remember, and we'll get to this in Acts chapter 16, that the Bible says that when Paul came back to Lystra in Acts 16 on his second missionary journey, that there was a disciple there named Timothy. Do you know that these disciples, whether Timothy was standing around or already saved, at, at, we know this much from just kind of deducing this, that at some point along the way, Timothy trusts Christ and becomes a disciple by the next time that Paul comes back into the city. There is success of the gospel right here. And not always is it the whole city like it was up, uh, half the city like it was up in Iconium. But here there was a group of uh, uh, disciples that were bold enough in their faith to gather around the persecuted preacher and to, to be with him, to identify with him. What a huge blessing. The gospel works even in the most pagan of cities. We must believe that. Let's stop putting the gospel inside of some sort of box like it, it worked in the book of Acts, but it does not work here. Listen, the gospel works today. It will work the gospel. Let's continue to preach it even this week. The attitude of Paul, lastly, I want you to notice as he returns into the city, there was an attitude of courage. Would you have walked back into the city? Now, come on, be honest here. I mean, he walks back into the city. It doesn't say under cover of night. He walks back into the city. That's courageous. And uh, personal comfort, Personal safety wasn't the, the forefront issue here in Paul's life. He walks back into the city. Paul speaks of this in 2 Corinthians 11, 2 Timothy 3. He says, thrice I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned. There in Lystra. Thrice I suffered shipwreck a night in the day. Uh, a night in the day, I often have been in the deep. I've, I've been swimming out in the deep, waiting for rescue. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 11. Persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but, but out of, all, uh, out of them all, the Lord delivered me. He tells Timothy, hey, you endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. He knew what it was to be courageous in the face of hardness. But there was an attitude of commitment because he gets up the next day and goes on a trip. Ah, three days to heal up? No, God, God gave him health. And the next day, he travels 45 miles over to Derby. And I can guarantee you, I can guarantee you, this man wasn't running on a big budget. I, I, I can nearly, maybe he had a mule or a donkey to go on. But there's a lot of likelihood that he, he got on his feet and started walking. Do you realize the, the commitment of this man to the gospel and to his purpose? Even the opposition did not throw him off, did not cause him to neglect 
his purpose. And so I ask the question, why, Paul, why continue on? Why keep doing this? Just stop. Take it easy. Let things simmer down. Why do you keep going to these cities and, and getting hit and, and, and run out of town over and over? And you know what I find here, and this is what I really want you to grab a hold of, in the context of man's accountability before a holy God, when, when Paul would stand before God at the, at the, at the, the judgment of believers, at the, the judgment of rewards, he, he, he says this in 2 Corinthians 5. He, he tells us what motivated him to continue on even through these situations. He says, knowing the, um, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. And he talks about that. But then he goes on in, in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14. I want you to really grab a hold of this. Because this is what's going to motivate you to continue on for the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, for the love of Christ constraineth us. Let's say that together. For the love of Christ constraineth us. Not, this is my love towards him. It's really speaking about his love toward me and my response back toward that. The more you know Christ's love for you, the more you can respond with Christ's love towards him and to others. Unless you revel in the love of Christ, even as we sing, isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful? And, you know, oftentimes in our minds, we're just going like this, and it doesn't connect there's no, there's no excitement in that. Listen, the more I know the love of Jesus Christ for me and revel in that and thank him for loving a low-down, dirty, worm of a sinner like me who offended him and he came and bore the punishment of my offense in my place before his father, the more I know his love, the more I can show it to others. And so Paul says, for the love of Christ constraineth us. That word constrain is to impel. Impel. From internal out. Listen, if, you are, if you're wanting motivation to come from being a member of Grace Baptist Church to continue on serving the Lord and walking in the Lord and living out your Christian life, you're looking in the wrong place. If Jesus Christ's love for you is not motivating you to serve him and to be faithful to him and to be faithful to his body and to be faithful to his word and to be faithful in your, in your workplace and to love your spouse and to love your children and raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and to witness for him, you do not have the right, the right motivation. If, if the love of Jesus Christ for you is not motivating you, you will give up when the times get tough. You hear me, church? You will give up. This is the time to get your motivation in the right place. And this isn't a sensational Valentine's Day message. This is the reality. We need, I need the love of Jesus Christ to be motivating me. Through hurt, through any sort of difficulty that we go through. Eh, through. My wife's had ups and downs over the past week, health-wise. There was one, uh, one time or two, uh, two times over the past week that we've said the statement, we reminded it was for better or for worse, right? But ultimately, I cannot love my spouse as I ought to love my spouse if I do not have the, an understanding of the love of Jesus Christ for me. In fact, he told me to love my spouse as he loved me, the church. Listen, where's your motivation this morning? What's motivating you to be here? Well, I gotta be here. Or we might get, you know, someone might call me where I am. No, no, you got the wrong motivation. 
What's motivating you to witness? Well, I'll feel bad if I don't. You got the wrong motivation. You will not be a good soul winner that way. The only motivation that should motivate your service to the Lord and, and lo love towards others is Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. That's the only motivation that works. And that is exactly why Paul goes from Antioch, Pisidia, gets run out of town, goes to Iconium, gets run out of town with a threat of stoning, goes down to Lystra, gets run out, of t uh, run out of town, and was stoned. That's the only reason he kept going. He gave that testimony over in 2 Corinthians. This is the reason. The love of Christ, Christ's love for me, constrains me. And so my question is, to you this morning, what is motivating you? What motivates you matters. Why you do what you do will be the determining factor of whether you continue to do what you do. You say, I'm serving the Lord in the church. If you're not motivated by the love of Jesus Christ, at some point along the way, you'll burn out. Why is there burnout today in, in ministry? You hear about that in pastors and people that serve the Lord. Why is there burnout? Ultimately, yes. Difficult times, stress, yes, yes, yes. But ultimately, it comes down to what is motivating us to continue on. And could I just ask you on this day that the world is all centered on love as a feeling, could I ask you to consider, is the love of Jesus Christ, the choice that Jesus Christ made to love you in your sinful condition, when you are as helpless as that lame man, beyond human help, beyond any religious help, and he reached down, he loved you, and he saved you and rescued you. Could I encourage you to allow that love to motivate you in everything you do? Say, I can't, I can't, can't love my wife. Yes, you can if you realize Jesus loved you. You can love anyone. You can serve at great cost if you realize he loved you. Pretty amazing when you look at it in the life of a, an apostle. Pretty amazing. I want that. I want that. And it's not automatic, friends. But we can have it. So get your eyes off of all the things that are going on in the world. Get your eyes on him. Spend a little bit of time with God this afternoon. Allow him to warm your heart in his love. Would you bow with me in prayer? A couple questions. Is the love of Christ the motivating factor for your life? How are you going to answer that this morning? I wonder if there's someone here that needs to receive the love of Jesus Christ. You haven't yet accepted that. Would you receive that today? Would you receive him by faith today? Today is the day of salvation. How many of you would say, Pastor, I know for certain, I, 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 I've heard the story, I've allowed Jesus Christ to save me, I have asked him to be my savior, and I've placed my faith in him, I'm trusting in him alone for salvation. I know that when I die, I'll spend eternity in heaven, not because of me, but because of what he did. You say, that's my testimony this morning. I know I'm saved. I know I'm on my way to heaven. Could you raise your hand to that this morning? Amen. I even see some of you raising two hands. Praise the Lord. 
Is there anyone here that doesn't, can't raise their hand to that? You don't know for certain, but today you'd like to? Is anyone like that this morning? Father, I pray that you would help each one of us. Most are professing that they know you. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be motivated by your love to us, like Paul was motivated. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Thank you for listening today. For more information about Grace Baptist Church, please visit our website at gracebaptistofkettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.